humans, aliens, and listeners, wrapped in 2,500,000 tons of spinning podcast, all alone in the night. Welcome to White Star 5. Computer, security override. sound like a new intro everyone that's probably because we're back for season two of white star five the internet's flagship podcast discussing babylon five of course considering the amount of time it's been since our last episode we're probably more like a tugboat i'm your host scott welcoming back once again my usual co-host also the host of simply syndicated the seventh chevron co-host of Simply Syndicated Movie News and host emeritus of Starbase 66, we have Rick. Welcome back. You are my sky, my sun, and my moon. Please pull your pants up. Hey, how's it going? You made it dirty. It started out (laughs) sweet. It started out with a nice moment, and, and you ruined it. Well, that that that's if we're gonna start off a new season, that's how you do it by by ruining. Start off with ruining. Um, uh, yes, we said it a couple times. Everyone, second season. It has been quite some time since our uh, previous episode. Um, things happen, things come up, and they get in the way. Now, I know this is the excuse that so many podcasts will uh, send our way. You know, life got in the way. Um, I always thought that they were feeding us a line up until I was planning my own wedding. Then I realized, yes, it does actually happen sometimes that life will get in the way. Now, thing, that. Yeah. It, it became impractical for a while to uh, try to record and edit this podcast. Um, things have been calming down of late. And while Rick and I worked on getting our schedules lined up, uh, the both of us have uh, taken on some additional uh, podcasting work as well. Uh, we share co-hosting duties along with two other panelists for the uh, recently launched Simply Syndicated Movie News. Um, Rick has at least one other. Uh, how many podcasts do you have running besides I Movie News? I think about 12 at this point, it feels like. Uh, no, I'm doing the 7 Chevron, which is uh, our Stargate SG-1 uh, uh, Rochelle Mentanona from the Atomic Trivia War 9000 and I are watching every episode of Stargate SG-1 and talking about it as we go along. Uh, I'm also doing the movie news. Also, Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots is still in the in the hopper, even though that one uh, goes for a great length of time in between. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm also getting ready to start up, finally, uh, the, uh, the Simply Syndicated Space Program news show, Max Q, uh, with my former co-host from Starbase 66, Daniel. Uh, we will be getting that one underway very soon as well. So I'm just podcasting like crazy since I shut down the Starbase so I could have more time to myself. Right, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Um, and, and the, uh, uh, the, what is it, Max X is? Max Q. Max, Max Q. Q. That, uh, I mix it up with Space X because I'm an idiot. Max <laughs> Q. Um, that seemed like one of the, one of the biggest no-brainer podcast ideas ever, considering the fact that on average, the first half of any episode of Starbase 66 for the past couple of years had been Max Q. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So suffice it to say, uh, we're keeping busy, uh, both 
in podcasting and outside of podcasting. Um, let's see, tonight, uh, we're, this episode we're recording on a Thursday. Coming up in two days on Saturday, we'll do another episode of Movie News. The following Monday, Richard and I, um, our benevolent overlord, Richard Smith, head of the Simply Syndicated Network, he and I are beginning a new show, rather like uh, the Seventh Chevron, and you were here for the for the genesis of it because we mentioned it the last episode of the movie news show that we recorded. Uh, it, it was put out as just a silly theory, but by the end of the day, we had already made plans. We are starting an episode by episode uh, review and discussion show for Quantum Leap. Ooh. This one will be uh, a spinoff of a pre-existing simply syndicated show. It's going to be Remote Patrol. Colon, oh boy. <laughs> and we're going to start that one on Monday, and then hopefully the next day I will be recording the official first episode of my own solo podcast that will be on Simply Syndicated. Um, more info on that as I record it. I'll put out uh, Facebook notices and whatnot, but uh, anyone who's interested and who enjoys this show, I'll be discussing very little science fiction and probably no Babylon 5. But I'll be talking about other things, whatever comes to mind, social issues and commentary and whatnot. Uh, keep your eyes open and your ears open for um, Tilting at Windmills. will be the title of my solo show, and uh, I'll have a, uh, a release date here on this show as soon as I know it. Who knows? First episode might come up before we do our next episode of this. I don't know. We'll find out. So I have four podcasts running. You have who knows how many. Um, and apparently we also have like families and homes, I guess. In, in theory. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. But families and homes are a discussion for another time. For right now, we are discussing... Babylon 5. Specifically, since we are coming back with a new beginning, it seemed only appropriate to discuss an ending. And now that Rick has completed the fifth and final season of Babylon 5, we are going to discuss the final episode of this landmark science fiction series, the episode entitled Sleeping in Light, yes. episode, num episode number 22 of season 5. I discovered something uh, while watching season five. It's as we've talked about in the past, uh, just to refresh folks' memory, if you don't remember. Uh, I've watched all of Babylon 5 all the way through a couple or three times in the past, but I always stalled out during season five. And when we were starting this show, I tried to watch it again, and Scott helped me acquire some of the shows. And I started watching it, and again, I just I didn't get very far into it, and uh, for some reasons uh, that I'll explain in a minute. But when Scott said, "Let's get the White Star back up online and let's talk about Sleeping in Light," and I was like, "All right, I need to watch episode uh, season five. and so I put it on my Netflix queue, and they only have it on DVD. So uh, I was getting the DVDs in order and watching them, and I discovered. A big part of why I didn't get through it the last couple of times is I was watching it out of order. Oh. And uh, I you know, I started with the episode where Londo got the, the drac attached to him. Oh, wow. And so, see, there's, there's 
there are a few storylines that are a turnoff to me and mind control is a big one. You know, I don't mind it if it's, if it's a part of an episode or something, but when it's a, a long, you know, drawn out sort of thing, that's why quantum leap, the fact that I enjoy watching quantum leap has always been sort of a puzzlement to me because that's exactly the kind of storyline, either mind control or somebody being in somebody else's body and not knowing what to do. Those two situations generally push me away from something. Uh, but the great thing about Quantum Leap is while every episode starts like that, that kind of fades away pretty quickly. If it was mm-hmm. always with, um, what was Bakula's character's name? Uh, Dr. Samuel Beckett. Sam. If, if every time he jumped, he was just totally clueless through the whole episode, I would have, I would have never watched it. But because he would always get idea, you know, he would start cluing into who he was and stuff, it was okay. Uh, so, when I was sitting there thinking that the entire season was going to be watching Londo with this thing, you know, with the, the brain slug thing, uh, and then the Garibaldi drinking and all of that stuff. Um, but it turns out it wasn't an, I, I got through the whole epi- the whole season. It's not their best work. Uh, not yeah. their worst. Uh, but I was glad I got through it. And then sleeping in light happened. Yeah. Uh, season five did uh, obviously uh, suffer from the uh, the expected problem of when you think your series is ending and you wrap up all of your major storylines, which have been running for four years. And then at the 11th hour, the network comes to you and says, hey, you're coming back next year. And now you have to create from whole cloth a whole new set of storylines for all these characters it's going to feel a little bit rushed, which is what happened with season five. Yeah. Um, what some people might not know and uh, those who do, it, it's not exactly a secret, but the final episode of the series sleeping in light was not filmed as the season five finale. Now you, you know this, right? Yeah. 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 Um, for those of you who don't, the episode sleeping in light was filmed at the end of season four. And they they left it unfinished, and they did not send it into the studio because uh, Straczynski did not want to risk the episode being leaked if they were renewed, and they were renewed. Once they got word they were coming back for season five, they took the the time and the budget and the resources for the first episode of season five, and they filmed a new season four finale, and they aired that at the regular time. Now they have a complete season four with a new finale. They filmed all of season five, which left them one episode short. And their plan from the beginning was to take the original season four finale and then place that at the end because it takes place 20 years after the entire story. Yeah, I I must admit, when I was closing in on the end of season five and I knew that Sleeping in Light had been filmed at the end of season four. I was curious how he was going to make that work. And then, you know, you, the Sleeping in Light begins and you're like, 20 years later. It's like, ah, oh, all right, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's how you do it. Um, which, you know, not a bad idea because it does build in room for, you know, up to 19 additional seasons. Mm-hmm. If they got renewed that long, which obviously they did not. Yeah. Um, so they come back for Sleeping in Light 20 years later. And this, right on the heels of what could have also served as a, you know, a, a, a serviceable 
series finale uh, being episode 21 objects in space no no that's, objects at that, rest there objects in space is the firefly finale uh-huh objects okay. at rest is uh, episode 21 yeah of season five babylon five and it it wasn't a bad episode i think that could have served as a as a series finale i almost think that they could have taken episodes 21 and 22 and stitched them together with perhaps a few additional scenes filmed and some creative editing, they could have made a feature-length finale that showed us the end of the story and the timeline that we've been with, and then middle of the episode, jump ahead 20 years and show us that. And I think that could have worked as well, because we would have had all the the loose end tie-ups and all of the uh, storyline caps all together in one place. But as Almost it stood, all the loose end tie-ups. Right. There are a few left dangling for fun. But what we end up getting is two episodes of closures, one yeah. right after the other. I, I remember which, wondering at the end of, of uh, Objects at Rest, if I, I was wondering if I had missed something. And so I had to go mm-hmm. back to Amazon and look at the, at the, the episode list and go, nope, Sleeping in Light is still the last one. It's, uh, it, it you, does you, certainly feel like you know, everybody's gone and, and Sheridan and, and Delenn walk off hand in hand down a corridor and you're like, Oh, okay, well that's done. Yeah. Most What's all of the, most all the characters, most all of the crew have left uh, the station for one reason or another. And all of the major um, uh, crew positions are neatly and conveniently replaced by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you get uh, your new, a Centauri ambassador in Veer, you get your new Narn ambassador with Talon, new doctor, new intelligence officer. Uh, they they are ready to move ahead with a new season with an entirely new cast if they really wanted to. So that felt like a finale, but then we get the real finale. Yeah. Now I I do want to say having just pissed all over season five, um, there was some magnificent stuff in season five too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Uh, especially, uh, Jakar's leave taking of Delenn still kind of, kind of gets me a little misty eyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course, Andreas Katsoulis can, you know, his, his performances are always amazing, but I think he did some of his best work as he was going around and saying goodbye to people, uh, before he and, and Lita took off for parts unknown. Yeah. Uh, and the same with Peter Jurassic. Uh, his his final moments is Londo, uh, especially as he made the sacrifices for his people. That you know, if you would never have imagined that the Londo Malari of season one would have the fortitude to do what the Londo Malari of season five did. Yeah, and at the same time, with the the course that his character took, you find yourself feeling so bad for him. Mm-hmm. By the end of season five, I, we'll, we, we will look at um, uh, objects at rest and you see his final scene with uh, Sheridan and Delenn and they share a meal and he asks if they have any booze. And when it turns out that they have no alcohol, if you watch, it's very quick because it happens right before the, the shot cuts to Sheridan. But once Sheridan says no to the question of is there alcohol, you can see for the barest of uh, of moments on Londo's face, he is crushed. Yeah. He is so sad. Because for those of you unaware, spoilers, 
uh, Londo has uh, an alien creature that is uh, attached itself to him on his shoulder, and it is known as the Drock. They are basically puppet masters, um, and they bend Londo to their bidding. But if Londo can get enough alcohol in him and get drunk enough, he can slip out from their control. He basically drinks the um, the alien to sleep, and then he can operate of his own volition. So when he finds that there's no alcohol for him to use to break free of their influence, he is he he's very upset. He is very disappointed, and you can see the fear in his face. Yeah, for that moment, which is a a, a wonderful moment after the dinner, and he says his goodbyes to Sheridan, and to hear Lando describe that dinner that moment as such an important night for him that he will always remember that's the the writer's way of telling us this character is never going to be free of this nightmare that he is in but for this brief moment he was able to reconnect with those he once was able to call friends and know as close as he's going to know to a moment of peace for quite possibly the rest of his life yeah. And you have to keep reminding yourself that he really deserves it. He really made the bed he's laying in. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when you have to remember what an absolute bastard he was to the Narn at the beginning of the series. Uh, and especially when the shadows, you know, when Morden was, was playing Londo. Uh, not, not Morden was playing Londo, but Lord Morden was playing Londo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um. Like a fiddle. Yeah. And somebody else who I think needs needs special mentioning here is Damian London as the as the regent as the Centauri regent, because he was pretty much a joke through most of the series. Whenever you saw him, he was a fop who was always worried about the curtains and mm-hmm. fashion and and you know very much a, an over the top, very campy character. Yeah. Uh, but his performance as the very tortured regent who has brought the centauri to their knees at the at the bidding of the drock is just it watching him was a, a heart-wrenching joy his 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 performance while being no less camp you know he he incorporated that that personality it wasn't an affectation you know it was who the regent was mm-hmm. uh but we saw that that exact same personality just crushed under the weight of the horrible things he was being forced to do. And it was, it was just beautiful. It was, it was a, an amazing bit of work. Yeah. It, it was, uh, very carefully nuanced, uh, tortured portrayal. Yeah. While still remaining true to the original character that he had created, however many seasons previous when they introduced him. Mm hmm. Now this was my only qualm with sleeping in the light or sleeping in light sorry uh and that was that the whole centauri storyline was not resolved we we see veer as em- we see emperor veer but there was no no resolution no explanation and of course there couldn't be cuz i i you really get the impression that whereas a lot of the storylines uh, in season five, because they'd already shot Sleeping in Light, you know, they 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 tried to keep keep them within that framework. Mm-hmm. The Centauri Drock thing was not in there, and I think maybe that was something that was thought up on the way, 
and so there was no way to make it resolve other than just Londo being dead uh, and not there for Sleeping in Light. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, it might be that I just, I know too much about the, um, the resolution of all the storylines, but on my latest rewatch as I was going through and when we would see flash forwards, I, starting from, I want to say the very beginning of the series, when we saw flash forwards to, uh, Londo's eventual death. Yeah. It, it always seemed to me that it, it fit very well with the, the Drock influence that they would eventually uh, in, introduce. But I suppose it's possible that in seeing those flash forwards, if you view it without the notion of the Drock in there, it could probably still play just the same. So, well, yeah, it, I find myself wondering I, if the Drock was something that Straczynski had always planned on and just introduced in season five, or if he if he made them up right at the end for that final season. At this point, we may be a little, a, a little late in saying this, but if you haven't seen sleeping in light, this probably, this conversation probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. <laughs> Cause this isn't exactly an episode review. Uh, so much as just talking about how they, they finished up the series and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Now, and of there, course, how it made us feel. I was just going to say there is there, there is a phrase I've been wanting to use right in the feels. <laughs> I, I watched the episode again this afternoon just to be fresh with it. And mm, yeah, I did same last night. Damn, if you don't walk away from that episode feeling like you just came from a funeral. <laughs> a little bit. A it's little 45 bit. minutes of getting a knife twisted in your gut, but it's not like that 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 does it a disservice because it's not bad. In fact, it's magnificent. Uh, but I, I do rank it up there uh, amongst uh, some of the best series finales that I've ever seen. Yeah, I have to agree with you. It, well, you may have seen on Facebook after I watched it for the first time, uh, I, I, I posted something along the lines of this is one of the best season finales I've ever seen. That's what you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, I w- it was just it was amazing. It, and but. It just grabs you by the heart and squeezes and wrenches and squeezes and then finally just throws it on the ground and stomps on it before it walks away. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say that really stomps on it so much as after it's giving you this savage beating, it then sets you on a raft and then pushes the raft down the river and lets it take you away. Yeah. Um. I think it's definitely a credit to series creator J. Michael Straczynski, who not only directed this final episode, but obviously wrote it as he did with most every episode of the series. But this is the only one he directed. Yes. And did you know he was in it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Always. Always <laughs> knew that. In in one of the best symbolic cameos that I've ever heard of. Yeah. Um. For those of you who aren't aware, I, hopefully there are going to be at least a few people who hear this episode who have seen the finale, but did not know this particular bit of information. Uh, at the end, when the main cast, uh, save for Sheridan, are attending the decommissioning ceremony of the station, and all the characters, you get the silent take as the camera goes down to each one, and they all move towards the elevator, and they step inside the elevator closes, and you have one maintenance tech. 
in uh, blue overalls or coveralls. And he walks across the, uh, the, the set over to a panel in the wall, opens up the panel, hits the switch, and all the lights shut down on the station. That tech turned out the lights. He shut down Babylon 5, and that tech is series creator J. Michael Straczynski. And at the moment that he turned the lights off on that set, the story goes that every cast member had tears in their eyes the moment he did that. It is, it is a wonderfully resonant moment to know that in addition to the story that we're watching and the resolution of all these plot lines and characters that we're seeing, to also know that behind the scenes, the man who brought this series into the world, who gave it life, is now the one who is packing it away. That makes the moment doubly meaningful for me, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I I, I kind of wish I had known that before I watched it, uh, but I'm also kind of glad I didn't because it's hard to second guess a moment like that. But a lot of times when you when you're watching something and and somebody there, there's a cameo by the, by the director or the writer or something like that, and you read about it later and you're like. I think I remember that scene didn't really make much of an impression, but of course there's no not knowing which scene that was. And when I looked up the trivia uh, this afternoon before we, before we, you know, we're going to do the show and I saw that that was Straczynski, I did not have to go back and, you know, turn the episode back on or anything. I knew exactly the scene and, and it was just like, yeah, that's, it's pretty amazing. Especially for that moment. You, you still see it even long after the episode is over. You see that, moment you see so many of the images from this episode for a while after it's done um uh, wonderful dialogue again as usual and the the conclusions for all these individual characters is so satisfying i think mainly because those that we see came out of all of these trials and tribulations that we that we watched over five seasons and they still came out okay. I mean, Garibaldi, yeah. Garibaldi is a successful uh, businessman who now has a daughter of his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is obviously still friends with uh, Dr. Franklin because Stephen's visiting him on Mars and playing tennis with his daughter, and they're drinking juice and hanging out. Um, we get General Ivanova. Yes, <laughs> that's one of the big moments. Uh, I, of course, also, yep, Zach is okay too. Good. With, in, in a nice callback to the, the prior episode, um, objects at rest. See, I, I almost say in space every single time. <laughs> in space! Objects at rest had uh, security chief Zach Allen. When someone asked if he was going to be leaving Babylon 5, he, he, his response was to say, no, I figure I'll be here until they turn out the lights. Yep which is exactly what happened. Another nice moment. But as you just pointed out, this is what a lot of uh, viewers were happy about. The series finale saw the return of Susan Ivanova, who would have been in all of season four and then the finale with no break. But when they renewed the series at the last minute for season five, she did not return. Yeah. And they replaced her with Tracy Scogans as uh, Captain Elizabeth Lockley, which sad for her, 
she gets no presence in the finale whatsoever because she was not part of the cast when they made it. But we do get to see Ivanova and we get to wrap up her story. And that's always a, a refreshing moment when you get to the final episode and you see her show up and you've gone a year without seeing her. And then there yeah. she is, a you know, general have, of Earth Force. So she's doing okay for herself. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, just before we before we run on, since you brought up uh, Lockley, uh, Tracy Scoggins, I would just like to to say I, when she came onto the show, because the only thing I'd known her from before that was she was Cat, the gossip columnist on uh, Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Oh yeah. Uh, and so when I saw that it was her playing the new Captain of Babylon Five, of course there was like a big eye roll and are you kidding me and stuff. But now after watching her for an entire season, well she wasn't in that many episodes, but still she mm-hmm. really acquitted herself well. I was I was impressed with the job she did, and I. I would like to retract my disparaging comments that I may have made on this show. I, I think I might have probably, I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> but if I did say any, any, have any negative comments toward Tracy Scoggins, I think they've been, they've been wiped away. She did a fantastic job, mm-hmm. especially in the, um, the, the episode where that alien race buys Babylon 5 for a night. And then the ghosts of the, the of the dead people come back to visit their their friends. Oh, I knew that's what that's when you were gonna say the episode <laughs> was Day of the Dead. Did you happen to catch who wrote that episode? Wasn't that Neil Gaiman? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, very much a Neil Gaiman episode. Holy cow! Yeah. It's got his name literally written all over it. <laughs> um, guest starring. Oh my god, guest starring Penn and Teller. That. Uh... That was almost painful. <laughs> I, you know, mm-hmm. whenever they do something like that, where they, they create this cultural icon, and it makes perfect sense that they would exist, because how many, how many entertainers, comedians, whatever, you know, you mention Jerry Lewis to somebody of a, of a certain age, and they'll start doing the, oh, lady, and, you know, and everybody knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But you create something like that, at least for me, in a, in a show, in a, especially a science fiction show. And to me, it becomes almost painfully embarrassing when they start doing the, the, whatever this made up catchphrase is for this, these particular celebrities. And, uh, it, it was, and, and I, I gotta say, as much as I admire Pendulette, he's not a very good actor. And not, not the best. <laughs> I mean, he can do okay, but I, he, he is a, uh, an illusionist uh, stage performer uh, and not an actor for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, a magnificent episode, but yeah, the, the, there were little bits of it that made me uncomfortable, but that's kind of the point of art. I think is it should make you uncomfortable sometimes. So. Yeah. And uh, to move back to Captain Lockley, as we were saying, her uh, performance in that episode, uh, very engaging. Um, It keeps you invested in the character and, not only does it give you a lot of insight into the character, but by the end of that episode where we see it, it's not a relative. It's an old roommate of hers mm-hmm. that comes back. And that roommate had uh, uh, committed suicide, but comes back in this episode as a, as a spirit, as a ghost. And they have a conversation all night, just as several other characters do. And we, we, we learn more about Captain Lockley in that episode, but at the same time, it leaves still a lot of unanswered questions about her yeah. because the, all the scenes between her and her um, 
you know, late friend, they do not specifically lay out all the details of whatever relationship they had. No, which and it, for once it leaves that a made lot sense. of it ambiguous. Yeah. You know, how many times in TV shows and in movies do you see two people having a conversation where it's obviously for exposition and they say, like, you know, hey Scott, how you doing with that podcast that you and I started last year about Babylon Five and everyone listens to it now, you know, instead of how people would normal really talk, which is, Hey, you got the show ready yet? Yeah, and we don't go into right. exposition because we don't need exposition. Uh-huh. And I was glad to see that they just had this this conversation and we had to infer what happened, but through their actions and through their through the dialogue and their body language and stuff, it the message came through without a lot of hackneyed blabber. Right. I, I was able to come away from, from that episode, from that scene, being almost entirely convinced, yes, they were best friends. Yes, they were roommates. Yes, they were lovers. Yeah, I got that. I got that impression, too. But they never do anything to explicitly say or even imply directly that they had an intimate relationship. Well, we've but t- to, to read between the lines. Yeah, we've talked about this before, about how Straczynski, you know, he was making TV in the in the late 90s. So there was really only so much you could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Star Trek completely copped out. I think Straczynski pushed that boundary as far as he could before being absolutely shut down. Yeah. And and sometimes even a little bit further. Like for example, the um the no mistaking a sexual relationship between Ivanova and Talia right at the end of Talia's storyline before her character was removed from the show. I think there was a little ambiguity left. We've had this conversation before too. That, well, I was taking this opportunity <laughs> to once again state that uh, with no equivocation, yes, they, at the end, became lovers before Talia left. And I don't care what you say about uh, ambiguity. No, they they <laughs> they were. Yes. Yes. So there's that. OK. Um, where were we? Uh, Lockley uh, was not in the final episode. Yes, no. that's right. She was not there. And there, Every, she was. Everyone she was, else was. Well, no, everyone else wasn't. And not everyone else. Jakar that, was not there. And Lockley yeah. Was not. Now it was Ket- no Katsulis hadn't died yet because he did all of season five. Um, mm-hmm. I was a little surprised that La- that Jakar wasn't there. Well, he could not be there because twenty years later, if Londo's already dead, then Jakar has to be dead too. Well, okay, let's talk about that. We see all through uh, Londo's storyline that he has mm-hmm. this this vision of he and Jakar killing each other. And Jakar has, in his vision, uh, a torn rag over his missing eye. Yet, Jakar gets his eye back. I'm not sure if we're supposed to take Londo's vision as gospel. I, you know, I, it's a vision. It's a, it's a, a dream. It's, it's a might be. It's, it's like uh, TNG, uh, uh, um, all good things, where we have a possible future depending on what happens in the present. And the reason you get the glimpse into the possible future is so that you can prevent it in the present. And that's kind of, I, I, I don't, I didn't see anything to prevent it, but I also can't in my own head, unless you, you have some insight from Straczynski I'm not familiar with. I, I can't accept that that is, that was the, def, the, the defined fate for Jakar and Malari without having seen it. 
And that was my problem with Sleeping in Light, is that was, to me, that was left hanging. That was a big thread left hanging. But we did see it. When? Did you did you watch the TV movies? No. Okay. Did they air before Sleeping in Light came out? Uh, yeah, there were a few films that aired during the run of the series, like between seasons. <laughs> Bless you. Oh, I'll, I'll see that on the way for <laughs> Yes, there were uh, TV movies that were made, uh, I want to say like five of them, um, that took place at various different points in the in the series chronology. Um, a lot of places, uh, like webs, <clears throat> excuse me, websites will consider uh, The Gathering as a TV movie. That was the pilot episode. Yeah. Um, we also have uh, In the Beginning. That is a prequel movie that takes us back to before the series began and shows us... Uh, the, uh, I believe it shows us the beginnings of the Earthman Bari War. Uh, that and it introduces, familiar. A, I think I saw that. It introduces us to some characters, uh, uh, set before the series began. Um, it shows us that John Sheridan and, uh, Dr. Franklin, uh, had to go on a mission together before Babylon 5 was commissioned. Uh, and we get so, some other things uh, in addition, but uh, that's that's another film. We have Babylon Five Third Space. I can't remember exactly where in the series that takes place. I want to say it's around four or five, um, and it it does not tie into the larger storylines at all. It's basically um, imagine an H.P. Lovecraft story in space, is okay. what it's supposed to be. Uh, but there is another film called. Um, Oh, see, now, now I can't remember the, the name of it. Uh, I don't think it's a call to arms. And now that I think about it, in the beginning might actually be, um, the one that I'm thinking of. But I, I get, I get them a, a little mixed up in my head sometimes because there are a lot of them. And there's one, uh, The River of Souls. That's another standalone film. We have another, uh, Soul Hunter, like we had from the first season. Another one shows up, uh, because, um, Al Swearingen from Deadwood is stealing souls. So, um, uh, the soul hunter, uh, president Martin Sheen Bartlett shows up to stop him. And it's, it's not great. It's not awesome. But, uh, yes, I, I believe in the beginning is the name of the film. I might be a little bit, uh, iffy on the plot line, but the framing device for the story, well, a lot of it takes us back in time to show us what happened before the series took place. The framing device is an old ailing Emperor Malari looking out over the burning wreckage that has become Centauri Prime. And he is telling the story of how this all started to a few of the um, younger members of his, of his court, all three people that he's talking to. They're all uh, uh, two young Centauri children and one like uh, a Centauri teenager. This is ringing a very faint bell. Yeah, you've probably seen it somewhere. Yeah, um, now that I think about it, I thought I remembered the scene with Londo and Jakar killing each other. Whereas we're in the, the and folks, this is this may be a huge spoiler if I'm right. So I because I, this isn't in Sleeping in Light, but so if you're if you still haven't seen the B five movies, put your fingers in your ears and go la 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 for a minute. Right. Um, that the the reason for it was that 
somehow Jakar, Londo is able to tell Jakar about the Drak, but he needs Jakar to kill him. But while Jakar is trying to kill Malari at Malari's request, the Drak takes over and has Malari strangling Jakar at the same time. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. At that point, Veer comes into the room and finds them dead, takes the uh, the medallion of the Emperor from Londo, and now Veer's the Emperor. And this is all actual stuff that happens, okay. not not a vision. Okay. So then... we know that it is in fact what what took place. I stand corrected then. Now the reason that Jakar has uh, a torn rag over his head where his um his prosthetic eye was, who knows? It's been several years and he's been out uh um uh, not beyond he he didn't go beyond the rim, but he was out exploring parts unknown. Who knows what happens? Perhaps he had to use his eye to pay for uh a sandwich. I don't know. <laughs> I okay, wish we I, could go back and see what happened in those intervening years, but we can't. All we know is that he did in fact return. Kill Londo. And okay. in return, Londo killed him. They died together as Londo foresaw. Okay. Well, I made it through Voices in the Dark. I can watch more B5 movies. Oh, more whining about the lost tales. Uh, this happened offline, folks. You haven't heard it yet. But we'll, we're going to have a discussion about oh, Babylon yeah. 5, The Lost Tales. Um, a, a pair of short films that was put together to one feature-length DVD after the series finale was aired. The series was over. And they decided to go back and they were going to tell some additional stories that took place during that 20 year gap between the end of, uh, objects in, objects at rest and the beginning of sleeping in light. We got 19 years that were not touched upon. So they were going to tell some stories that took place during that time. They got as far as making one DVD with two stories and then the funding dried up and Straczynski did not want to make cut rate um, low budget stuff. He wanted it to be quality, and they said, "Well, we're not going to give you this much money." He said, "Well, then we're not going to make these anymore." So it stopped. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll withhold my comments <laughs> for a later show. Yeah, we'll we'll wait. That might be the next episode where we talk about uh, maybe, uh, the lost an, tales, or maybe maybe like ancillary shows because I don't know that the those that warrants an entire show, but maybe we can. Man, we we might do one episode just on the movies themselves. It'll be yeah. The Lost Tales, River of Souls, Third Space. Or The Rangers. Oh, boy. Legend of the Rangers. Oh, wow. <laughs> that one's not good. But here's what's going to have to happen. See, now you know that this was going to happen. Oh, yeah. Now that we've finished Sleeping in Light, you know what comes next, don't you? Nope. You get to watch Crusade. <laughs> That's right. I keep blotting that out of my mind. Babylon 5 Crusade, which is a spinoff series that was born from the Babylon 5 uh, TV movie, A Call to Arms, which uh, continues the Drock storyline a bit. So that's kind of nice. But it gives us the spinoff series Crusade, which is not so nice. No, I, I watched it. I, I at least watched some of it. And all I remember is pain, <laughs> just searing waves of mental pain. No, let's let's talk about Sleeping in Light, which is awesome. So, in a nutshell, 
We're 20 years later. We open the episode with a flashback to Lorian bringing Sinclair, or Sinclair, my bad, Ooh. Sheridan back to life and saying, you got 20 years, give or take. And so now we're 20 years in the future, and Sheridan's been having this dream about Lorian, and he realizes that it's time. And so it's just kind of a, hey, we're getting the band back together for one last fling. And everybody's crying. <laughs> Delenn is constantly crying. Sheridan is is get waxing stoic. philosophical and be, mm-hmm. uh, being stoic. Ivanova's angry. Garibaldi's remarkably mellow. Uh, yeah. Stephen is apologetic. Veer is Veer. <laughs> Emperor Veer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a party, and then Sheridan flies off to the uh, something or other system. Coriana. Coriana. Yeah. And uh dies. And that that's a, a a huge simplification of what happens. But in between all of that stuff are is some amazing performances, but it just I I I'm pretty sure the, the whole purpose was to Make us feel the loss of everybody in the episode, especially Delenn. And boy, does it do that. Mm-hmm. Because we're watching her realize, you know, she's, you know, despite all this Mimbari stoicism and shit, she is just, it's testing her Mimbari beliefs to the, to the limit of, you know, the whole where the universe trying to understand itself and, and life is just a spark and all this stuff. Because she's losing her husband, and it's not even a, gee, I'm, you know, I'm sick, I could get better. This is, there's no, there, there's, there's no miracle cure. This is the end. This is it. And he's, seems to be at peace with it, and she is really struggling. And you see that struggle, and you see her trying to be, uh, you know, try, trying to be the, the, the Mimbari, the spiritual Mimbari, and her human side is just really raking her soul over the coals. She somehow finds a way to so effectively um, and clearly uh, convey to the audience the sense of a character who has has known something that no one here in the real world can know, which is, I will have my husband for 20 years. It will be exactly 20 years. It will not be 18. It will not be 22. It will be 20 years. And when that time comes, there is nothing that can be done. I should get ready for that. But then 20 years later, no matter how much she tried, she's still nowhere close to ready. Yeah. Well, she even says to Ivanova, yeah, we've had 20 years to prepare for this. I'm, I'm ready. Or, or what is she? I, I'm ready for it or as ready as I can be. Mm-hmm. Which, for a Mimbari, that's an incredible admission. But I think a, a, a big message of this show, of this episode, is that you never know how you're going to deal with death until you have to face it. Mm-hmm. And especially considering the majority of the, the the demographic that these shows aim at are young men 18 to 25. Now... That's not the only people that watch this show by any stretch of the imagination, but that's the demographic 
that traditionally watches shows like Babylon 5 and Star Trek and stuff like that. Now, granted, that's changing nowadays, but back in the 90s, not so much. At least not so much as the producers knew or cared about. Right. And so this message of you can say, oh, if that was me, I would X, Y, or Z all you want. But until it is you, you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see in Delenn. That's what I see in Delenn. Uh, you know, maybe it's because I'm in my 50s and as like Ivanova says, I've buried far too many friends at this point. Uh, I, I loved her line. Uh, you know, I've buried so many friends, I'm starting to resent it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, I, it's. I think that watching this episode as a young person you get one perspective on it. You get this, you know, I, you, you never know what you're going to do. You never know how you're going to react until you're there. Watching it as an older person who has been through a lot of this, as much as you can get, you know, have gone through what they're portraying in this science fiction universe, uh, you see a group of friends supporting each other and being as cheerful as they can be in the face of a terrible loss that hasn't even happened yet but is but there's no way to stop and i thought it was it was marvelous especially when veer talked about londo uh and his i i have to say i'm not a huge fan of stephen first's work after he stopped being just londo's uh assistant I, I don't hmm? beyond the point where he was uh, mostly comic relief and yeah. he became a, a load bearing character. Yeah, I, I think he was he was be- wonderfully cast as the bumbling assistant. Mm-hmm. I think once he had to take on more, I don't think the actor was particularly up to it. And that's not necessarily his fault. That's not what he was hired for. It's what his character evolved into. Right. Uh you know, I think I think first is a a very good comic actor, but not not so good at the drama. Uh, but for this episode, for that monologue, where he's talking about Londo and the and the and the the uh, Pakmara singing and stuff, it just it was like wow, even even this clownish character can step up for this for this episode for this finale and just knock yeah. it out of the park. In at the same time, giving a view of another character that we as the viewers can certainly relate to. Um, uh, he, in a way, he's mirroring, um, the audience opinion of Londo because he's basically saying at the end of that story, he says, even with all the horrible things that Londo did and all of the, um, uh, irredeemable, uh, transgressions, you still miss him. Yeah. You have every reason in the world to hate Londo for everything he's done, but you can't bring yourself to utterly and completely hate him because there's still a part of him that's redeemable and those who know him can see it. And when he got to that, that's where he really sells it is, is right at the end in that moment. And then they give a name check to Marcus at the end. Oh, <laughs> Oh, twist the knife. And at the same time, they also, as they're toasting friends that they have lost, and they also drop Lanier. Yep. 
indicating that Lanier has also died, and we have no information about that. Unless you read interviews with Straczynski, then you know what happened to him. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what happened. Um, he, he did go on record as saying that another thing that happened during the uh, the blank time that we didn't see is after the conclusion of season five, there was an actual war with the telepaths. We get bits of it in some of the books, but I don't think we get the entire story of the telepath war. Suffice to say, there is um, one battle of, uh, we'll, we'll call them uh, rebel forces, but those opposed to uh, Psychor, they launched a, an assault on Psychor headquarters. And there was a lot of damage, a lot of people died, a lot of explosions. And as it turns out, Lanier and Lita Alexander were in that raid on the Psychor headquarters, and they were killed in action during that particular battle. Okay. Um, and interesting little piece of trivia, there is one episode of Crusade that shows us uh, a flashback. I think it's a flashback to... Um, a a Psychor facility that is under attack, and it if you do the right kind of uh, reading of interviews, that is the attack where the two of them are killed. You don't see them in the episode, but if you know what's going on, as you're watching the scene, you can say to yourself, downstairs, somewhere else in that building, Lanier's there, Lita's there, and they're dying! Oh my god! Hmm. Adds a little bit of depth to that episode of Crusade. I can't remember which episode it is, though. When okay. you go back and watch the whole season, like you're gonna, you mean you'll find you, it. Pale Face? We're both gonna watch this shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll rewatch it. Fine. Now, one thing I didn't even think about until I was looking at the trivia is some people complained that when they do the toast to absent friends and they mention Jakar and Londo and Marcus and and Lanier, they don't yeah, mention someone, Sinclair. Someone has forgotten, and that didn't even dawn on me. Until, no Sinclair. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um. On on the one hand, I can understand if it was a legitimate oversight on the part of Straczynski as he was writing it. He might not have thought of it. Um, on the other hand, it could be that the characters are doing much the same as the viewers are doing, which is by the time we've gotten through the whole series and we're at this final episode, we're not thinking about Sinclair. There's so much other stuff going on and so many other people that we're following that uh, like like you, you didn't notice until you were reading the trivia. Oh, I had forgot to notice that Sinclair was not mentioned. Yeah. Well, Straczynski's uh, explanation is that some people are always forgotten, especially in a historical context. So. Mm -hmm. it's like, now, if, <laughs> if you're going by that reasoning, then it might be a bit of a stretch to think that within a mere 20 years, everyone has forgotten about Sinclair. But anything is possible. I don't think it would be so much a matter of they've forgotten about him. It could be everybody went back, you know, they're laying just before they're about to go to sleep, and they go, oh, damn it, should have said. <laughs> In the middle of the night, they all got up and went around to each other's rooms, went back to the dining room and said, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Sinclair. And, and a toast to Jeff. Way to go, Jeff. Yay. <laughs> Good job, Jeff. Nope. Okay, back to bed. <laughs> That's a deleted, we'll just say that's a deleted scene. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone get up in the middle of the night for a quick toast and then go back to bed. Was there a moment in this episode 
if you can recall the first time you saw it, where you wept openly. It was, I, I know it happened and I, I wasn't, you know, falling to pieces and just, you know, absolutely inconsolable. I remember tears came to my eyes and I, I don't think it was the same moment that it was for you because I know your moment. Yeah. So we've already talked. About I think, it. I think for me, it was, uh, I want to say it was right at the end of the episode as Delenn was sitting up watching the sunset or watching the sunrise on her own. And for that moment in her mind, there's Sheridan sitting next to her. And then the camera cuts to a different angle and he's not there. And as she looks out at the sunrise, she puts out her hand, holds her hand out to the sun the way she did the last time she set eyes on Sheridan Mm -hmm. paralleling the, uh, the motion there Uh, that I remember was a, was an impactful moment for me. There were several moments in the show where I got choked up and maybe got a little misty eyed, but the, the last moments between Delenn and Sheridan, uh, he, he, uh, they, they have this rather formal conversation about what a lovely day it is. And, and, you know, she's trying to give him what he, he said he wanted, which was a good day with no tears and stuff. And, she turns away from him and you can see the, 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 the conflict on his face because he wants to leave, but he doesn't want to leave her. And she's holding it, trying to hold it together, being the, you know, the, the stiff upper lip Mimbari. And he just reaches out and touches her shoulder. And the minute his fingers touch her shoulder, she turns around and just collapses into his arms. Mm-hmm. And the first time I saw that, the the min- and I swore she made a noise. Watching it the second time, she didn't make a noise. But I guess my heart made the noise for her. <laughs> and I just tears just pouring out of my out of my I, I just I lost it. I you know again it wasn't uncontrollable sobbing. It was just that was the moment that just pushed me over the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get some kind of, you know, sappy, you know, the, the line I used at the beginning of the show, you, you know, you were my, my sun, my, you're my sky, my stars, my moon. And I have to give both actors credit in that it's hokey. It's really hokey. It's almost Lucas level hokey writing. Uh, <laughs> but they were, they made it work. Mm-hmm. They sold it very well. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I really liked the moment where, you know, Sheridan walks away and he stops and you can, you can see the internal struggle of if I turn around, I'm not going to leave. Yep. And you see Delenn raise her hand up, reaching out to him. She's not going to call to him, but if he turns around, she's, she's right there, but he doesn't, he just leaves in an episode full of magnificent performances. That was the the cherry on the cake. That was, that was just perfect. That moment. Mm -hmm. And I, I try to, I imagine the filming of that ep- of that section. It must have been a rough day on set for the for for uh, Boxleitner, for Furlan, for Straczynski, uh, probably for the camera people, because that had to be that had to be a very emotional day or two or however long it took them to film those scenes. Uh, it must have been rough on everybody. Yeah. Okay. And it sh- it shows it shows in the performances because they made it work. The 
the the viewers end up feeling everything that the characters are showing us that they're feeling, which is why this is one of the the finer series finales that I've ever seen because they are uh, inspiring in the viewers the same emotions that they're putting on the screen. That's when you know you have a good finale. If they're trying to show you sorrow and and conflict and and regret and redemption and all you find yourself thinking is Dexter used to be a good show and this is what they're giving <laughs> us at the end then you know it's not it's not a winner well you know what what this made me think of spoiler alert the series finale for Dexter sucks <laughs> what what I was comparing this to was are, are you do you watch Doctor Who yes okay when David Tennant left his final episode dragged so badly. It was like, get on with it. You are milking the sadness of the audience for everything it's worth. And you're, and it's just, it was so over sentimental and so melodramatic and so drawn out that by the time he finally went, I was just like, all right, finally, good, done. <laughs> Whereas this was no shorter, I don't think. It was probably roughly the same amount of time episode, you know, amount of the episodes were the same length, I would imagine, very close. But this, I think that I think the Doctor Who episode probably, I think the BBC gave it some extra time, so that would have been a bit of a longer episode. I want to say the run, the runtime, the the actual program runtime we're not taking any commercials into account i think the actual runtime for that doctor who episode was probably about 60 minutes so they got an extra 15 a little bit longer but still it felt like a lot longer whereas i jokingly said that sleeping in light was like having you know the knife twisted for 45 minutes and it was but i think maybe that was uh, too strong of a metaphor i mean it was more like having your heart wrung out for that long it was beautiful. It was, that's the only word I can I can say to describe this episode. Uh, if you want an overview, it was beautifully done, beautifully written, beautifully acted, beautifully edited. Uh, didn't try to do anything more than what it needed to do, which was just be the last moments of this group of friends and companions and folks who have been literally to hell and back. And this was their last chance, last time when any of them, you know, when all of them would be together. And it was to say goodbye to the man that brought them all together. And it was a big, it was, it was, it, to me, it felt like a very heartfelt goodbye from the creators to the audience as well. So it was a bit of a, uh, you know, nonlinear scattershot discussion, but that is the episode. Sleeping in Light, the series finale for Babylon 5. Not the last Babylon 5 we would ever get, because we did have more after that, including um, A Call to Arms, Sleeping in... Er, uh, a Call to Arms, uh, Crusade, another attempt to make a spinoff series with the... Uh, I think it was made for the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, Babylon 5, Legend of the Rangers... Intended to be a pilot episode for a new series, but it was awful, so they didn't make it a series. And then, of course, The Lost Tales, which the one thing that I really enjoyed about that one, but at the same time, it was a bit of a spoiler. I liked the special effects 
they did look awesome. They, I, I will give them that. The, 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 the station looked amazing. Mm-hmm. The downside is I watched Babylon 5 according to a viewing order list that I found online, which gives us everything in chronological order. And chronologically, The Lost Tales takes place before Sleeping in Light. So I watched The Lost Tales before I watched the series finale. Do you remember how The Lost Tales opens? Showing the, the station being destroyed? The destruction of the station in reverse. So you see it explode, but then they rewind it and you see all the pieces coming back together. Yeah. So that told me, oh, the station's going to get destroyed. So when they hit the auto-destruct in Sleeping in Light, it was not a big surprise moment for me because I knew it was happening. That was the only bummer. Okay, speaking as someone who almost blew up their station not too long ago, uh, (laughs) I can understand the (laughs) desire to just do that, uh, to make that clean break, uh, because I, 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 right up until we recorded the last episode of the Starbase, I was going to blow it up, and then one of the one of the crew talked me out of it. Um, although I just the whole reason for it, it would be a menace to navigation. It's in orbit around a planet out in the middle of nowhere. How the hell is it a menace to navigation? Yeah, it hasn't gone anywhere in <laughs> twenty years. Yeah, but. How do you resist the opportunity to just go, let's just blow it up? <laughs> it's definitely a mighty send-off, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Of course, now, if they want it to not be a menace to navigation, then you just contact Drawl and you say, hey, dude, you live inside this planet that we're orbiting. You want to just make sure you keep the hold on this thing and don't let it get away? And he would have been like, no sweat. <laughs> and then the planet itself would hold on and say, now, now we're just getting into fan fiction. We can, yeah. <laughs> we can do additional stories all day long. But we have, I think, covered Sleeping in Light sufficiently. If you haven't seen it, we've totally spoiled it for you. But you should still go watch it. Yes. After you watch the rest of the series as well. And we also haven't told you how it ends. And we're not gonna. <laughs> That's true. There is a little bit left that we have not touched on. The actual ending ending. That's for you guys. You figure it out. You may think I told you how it ends earlier, but I, I, I'm not saying anything else. Mm-hmm. Yep, we, we left a little something out. Hey, how about this? The first person to figure out what we left out and email us about it, you get a shout out. We'll see. We'll see if that works. We don't have any prizes to give. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, shout out surprises. Yeah. So in the meantime, while we wait for the next episode, let us know your thoughts on the series finale, Sleeping in Light. Send us an email at what is our email? Whitestar five at simplysyndicated.com. I think it is. (laughs) They they all go to you, so I I never see them, so I don't I don't know what it is. I thought I thought we both saw them. Okay. Um, try White Star 5 at simplysyndicated.com. If that doesn't work, the backup is planetrisecreative <laughs> at gmail.com. We are professional podcasters, folks. We're on this shit. <laughs> Those will come to me if the White Star 5 address does not work. Um, let us know your thoughts on this series finale. What could they have done differently? What did you like the most? How much better was it than the series finale of Dexter? The answer is... A lot. We're also on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Aren't we? Not a whole lot has been happening. 
but uh, but we are there. Uh, Facebook yep. as well. Fa- Facebook, we we both get the the updates on Facebook. So please also uh, check out Simply Everything at simplysyndicated.com, where you can hear simply everything Simply Syndicated has ever done, uh, including some very cool uh, uh, subscription only content, uh, including things like Shaken Not Stirred, Rich's uh, James Bond show. Mm-hmm. Uh, tons of other podcasts that you, you don't have to pay for, but uh, they're they're really cool anyway. We've talked about a whole bunch of them at the top of the show, so we won't go into the list again. But uh, go to simplysyndicated.com and check out what they've got because if you dig it, odds are somebody's talking about it at the, on the network. And I, I I do have to say that this is the time. It, if you are not subscribing to other simply syndicated shows or if you're not subscribing to many simply simply syndicated shows now is the time to take a look a closer look at what the network has to offer the network is exploding with new content i don't think i've ever seen simply syndicated producing as much new content as it is right now I'm, i'm sure part of it has to do with the fact that it seems like there's so much new stuff from my perspective because i'm now participating in four different shows I used to be just a listener. I was just a subscriber to a few shows from Simply Syndicated, and from then until now, it has grown to the point where I'm doing four shows, and I will not hesitate to send Richard a message saying, hey, how about this idea? I'll pitch him new shows like once a week. Now more than ever before, I'm actually feeling like a part of the network, and that is, it's a heady feeling to feel like I'm this much a part of the network. and to see it grow the way it is, is so exciting. If people are interested in hearing podcasts, now is the time to come to the network and see see what there is to hear. I'm not just saying that because I've had two beers. Anyway, no, I'm just, let's, I'm let's just wrap this up. We're, we're, we're both babbling now. We're, we're babbling on. <laughs> I was really hoping you weren't going to do it. Tune in next time, folks, where we might discuss the made-for-TV films, or we might discuss... Centauri hairstyles. Perhaps if we wanted to break up some of the um, heartrending throughout this episode, then we should have just included a scene where after Sheridan arrives at the uh, uh, outgoing Babylon 5 just before it's decommissioned, he should have bumped into uh, Captain Jack Harkness and given him a tip <laughs> on how to seduce um, maintenance tech Struzinski. <laughs> Slide a little note. His name is Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to end it with class. Yeah. 